We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're reacting to the 2021 NFL Draft on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Curtis Patrick. We're two of the owners here at Rotoviz. Unfortunately, Curtis was out last week. Travis absolutely crushed it, though, filling in. A reminder definitely listen to the College to Canton podcast. Check out everything that Travis does. But, Curtis, let's quickly get your thoughts just reacting to the draft, how exciting you thought it was. There were any major surprises. Uh, you know, I had the awesome time talking to you, Sean, Blair, Travis, after the draft at our ranking summit. So I have some of the ideas of what you're thinking, but some more time has, you know, passed now. Are you still riding a high from this draft? Yeah, I am. Uh, it's definitely been an emotional journey, though. Uh, you, you, you know, there's all of this investment that goes in mo- literally months. I mean, I really start taking the next year's draft you know, as a serious dynasty player, as a content producer, you know, as a co-owner of a site, thinking about, you know, what do our subscribers need? I mean, really from about October on, I mean, I'm acutely focused on, okay, what is this class really looking like? Starting to formulate thoughts, starting to inform, you know, uh, value uh, equations for trading and, you know, how many picks do I really want this year? All that stuff. And then the individual profile work, and then you have the draft and it's like, you know, all this build up. You know, it's, it's, you know, you're going, you're going to prom, it's wedding night, you know, whatever, you know, it's like the actual event. And then, you know, then, it, then the afterglow is, is it positive? Is it negative? And I felt like our team, you know, we, we were excited about some landing spots. We were also really frustrated by some landing spots and by some of the specific things that the teams did with players that we really liked. I know, 
you know, Sean was highly frustrated with Urban Meyer and uh, his selection <laughs> of uh, Travis Etienne in the first round and just really, you know, hated it. And I was praying that, you know, Najee Harris wouldn't go to Pittsburgh because of the, the line problems. Now, luckily, they, they did invest there just a little bit. Um, but, you know, that I kind of wished he would have gone to a, a place that was better uh, equipped up front for him uh, and his style uh, in year one. And then, you know, some of the receivers, you know, we all liked Rashad Bateman and he goes to a low volume passing offense uh, that also invested in wide receiver, you know, a couple years ago and through free agency. And, you know, there's just, you know, scenario after scenario after scenario. But then the dust settles. And the dust settles and what's happening is some of these players, and we're going to talk about some of them (laughs) in the next few episodes, Dave, some of these players that go in the middle of the the NFL draft uh, because of positional biases that uh, exist uh, in fantasy football, they're rising up the board. And some of these receivers who we were maybe didn't think hit uh, from a situation perspective for year one. Now they look like bargains. Um, and so I'm, I'm just, the excitement's all back all over again. And, uh, you know, the rookie drafts and all my FFPC leagues and some of my other dynasty leagues certainly helped that. Um, but, but I think it was, a, it was a perfect, uh, rescue attempt by some of these middle round running backs to push themselves up the board and, and, you know, rescue the value, or I guess maybe, um, it, it helps it helps protect against the down, the relative or perceived downside of some of the receivers landing in suboptimal uh, scenarios. So yes, very, very excited. Uh, I've got so many takes stored up that, you know, didn't get to share last week uh, with Travis standing in. So very pumped up for an awesome trio of episodes this week, Dave. Awesome. Yeah. So we are going to stick talking about rookies this week. Next week, we'll get back into some implications where we're talking more so about things that could also apply to redraft leagues. Although I do think that everything we're going to talk about for with these players is pertinent to redraft leagues. I've always been the person on the site that's been more focused on redraft than other players, and I still think that it's super important to cover all of these. I was in some rookie drafts over the weekend. To your point, it's been interesting to see Michael Carter and Trey Sermon now, in some of my leagues, making their way into that sphere in the first round where they're going ahead of guys like Rondale Moore, which has been really interesting. So I normally am excited about the opportunity to get various players when it, you know I'm in that first weekend of all of my rookie drafts. But it was funny because I, I kept needing to take Rondale Moore because in one of my leagues, he even fell to the 112. And at that point, I'm taking Rondale Moore um, you know, like pretty much without any hesitation. So it's been interesting to see how things have fallen out. We have Trey Sermon in some of my leagues creeping up to like the 106. Uh, he's the player we're going to lead off with. I've always, I've also been really surprised to see the reaction, even for players like Kenneth Gainwell, getting into the mix around the turn of the first round in some of my leagues. And, and, and the interesting thing always for me is the group of players that are in these leagues, uh, in some cases seem to value certain players. And then in another league, you'll see this, this player fall to the third round. Um, So I'm curious as we work our way through some of these names, where you've landed now that you've had some time to think about them. Henry, the cat uh, is really making him his presence known curse. I don't know if you've really got to see him a lot on the podcast yet, but you are getting a full slate of Henry tonight. Nonetheless, let's make our way 
into talking about these players. We're going to lead off with Trey Sermon going to San Francisco at pick 88, a spot that I think a lot of people viewed as one that would be a great landing spot for any running back. Now, I know that we had talked about him a couple of times, that we liked him, had an interesting profile. Uh, If you tried to look just for that raw production, there wasn't too much that you could point to except a terrific stretch after he took over for Master Teague at Ohio State. The athletic profile is all right, but I think people are going to look past that because he's going to a San Francisco team where last year you had Jeff Wilson leading the way in attempts. Raheem Mostert was banged up, only played eight games, had 104 attempts. Derek McKinnon, 81 attempts. The ball was spread all around. We know that's something Kyle Shanahan likes to do. Do we see Trey Sermon come in, assert himself in this offense, be his right off the bat? How are we feeling about Trey Sermon? Well, as you mentioned, uh, you and I, I think of of the five rankers were were the highest on on Trey Sermon. I, I've liked him, you know, really dating back uh, to 2017 as a freshman at Oklahoma in my Debbie leagues. He's a player I've owned a lot of, and so I've you know just naturally followed you know uh, his career as it's developed. And you know, if it wasn't for just a very weird 2019 where he seemed to be kind of usurped by some lesser players at Oklahoma. Uh, and really taking that step back after that exciting sophomore breakout campaign with 13 rushing TDs, um, that that's what really derailed him. And and so he transfers and he transfers during a COVID season. Uh, it takes a bit to assert himself in the Ohio state backfield. You know, master Teague was someone who, you know, had invested a lot of time was a, a highly touted recruit uh, for Ohio state. And so it's natural that it takes a little bit of time for, sermon to uh to overtake him but you know when he did as you mentioned i mean he really looked brilliant looked like a difference making type player this is just a profile that was really you know laden with context Uh, and you have to understand what happened with the player and you know ultimately for his career uh over 450 rushing attempts averaged nearly six and a half yards per carry uh against you know stout power five competition in the big 12 and uh especially in the big 10 um, he's a decent receiver, you know, he's got, um, adequate speed, you know, 50, 51st percentile, uh, a 40 time, uh, a 57th percentile shuttle. You know, you move her a little bit an elite three cone, uh, 92nd percentile three cone and very explosive. Uh, you can tell that, uh, you know, by those jumps at 87th percentile broad and 78th percentile vert, um, you know, he's just really an, an interesting player. Uh, and to land in San Francisco, you know, he's one of these players that really did probably hit an optimal. He got the day two draft capital, which we weren't sure about. So he goes on the right side of that. And then he lands in a Shanahan offense. That's just, you know, whether it was him or his dad, you know, it's produced a lot of fantasy studs over the years, certainly players with a lot less draft capital than what Sermon ended up with. So uh, Raheem Mostert's uh, I've heard that he is a uh, potential uh, summer cap casualty um, could he be included in a potential Julio Jones deal? Um, you know, the, the irons are really getting hot on a Julio to San Francisco move and, you know, perhaps uh, running back being a need for Atlanta. There's something that happens there uh, to help get that deal done. But yeah, I'm really excited about Trey Sermon. I don't know if he'll lock the backfield down in year one, uh, but you have to like him to really break out at some point during his rookie contract in this system when they invested what they did with all the other playmakers, uh, I, I tend to think San Francisco is going to be a pretty good squad here in the, in the, in the short term, maybe not in 2021, but certainly in 2022. 
and Sermon should, you know, reap the benefits of that. So I drafted a lot of them in my dynasty leagues that uh, draft before the NFL draft and had the Debbie shares as well. Actually, it will not probably have any of them in actual dynasty <laughs> rookie drafts though, because of what he costs. And yep. you know, I still believe that some of the uh, higher drafted wide receivers are, are better investments for us, Dave. Yes. So I agree with that point. Um, from my perspective, this landing spot really did propel him up to the point where you can make a very solid argument about him being the fourth running back in this class. Now, I tend to think that he should be. Um, and I mean, he's a 22 year old running back coming in. When you look at the other group of players that they have there, there is not much of a reason that you shouldn't default to the fact that at some point he's going to step in and at least very seriously challenge to come in and be the one a there, if not the main guy. Of course, we know it's a team where they're, you know, maybe not ever going to go to that true just system where they're running with one guy. But I feel very good about Trey Sermon now. Um I actually almost reached for him on a couple of a couple of spots still lean towards this stronger class of wide receivers. But I think that's a testament when I'm starting to think about that, about how I feel about the landing spot. So that is pretty exciting. Let's move along, though. Now, a player that uh, (laughs) I'm just going to come with it. Nico Collins. What do you make with this? Right. Because he's going to a team in Houston where there's a lot of uncertainty right now. We don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. But if you look at this group of pass catchers that are there now, uh, Will Fuller, not going to be there. Randall Cobb, so old. Uh, Brandon Cooks, right? <laughs> that's that's the note. That's the note on Randall that's, Cobb. That's the note so on old. Randall Cobb, right? <laughs> Kiki Kute. Like, you know, Chad Hansen, Kenny Stills, Stephen Mitchell, DeAndre Carter, Isaiah Coulter. These, these were the guys in that offense last year. There's no reason to think that if you have a rookie that is very talented coming into this system, they should have a very decent chance of finding target share. The question is, though, is that going to be a target share that we should be interested in? Nico Collins was interesting to me heading into the draft as a player that was 6'4", 215, one of the larger players in the class, a freak score in the 96th percentile, 92nd speed score, played his college ball, uh, for those of you that need a reminder, at Michigan. Uh, only 13 receiving touchdowns, though, on 27 games in his career. Didn't reach a 30% receiving dominator. So it's not like you can lock him in as this super you know, superior transcendent college talent people that might be looking for a landing spot to sell them on it though. You know, maybe they're going to lean towards him landing in Houston. I'm looking at your face. You don't seem sold on that, on on that argument. What's your take on him? It it all hinges on Deshaun Watson, right? Um, You know, Nico Collins profile in itself is, is not something that would have me excited at all. He would, he would be kind of like a, you know, if you are a non Trey Sermon believer as a, a, a prospect and he lands in San Francisco, however you adjust his profiles, perhaps how you would adjust it uh, with this landing spot in Houston, because there's, there's an easy path to volume. Yep. But you know, is the volume coming from uh, Terod Taylor or uh, Deshaun <laughs> Watson? Is it coming from Davis Mills? I mean, who, who is going to be throwing him the ball? And, um, you know, it, as you mentioned, he didn't truly break out by road of his standards with that, you know, that 30% dominator. Uh, there are many sites and, you know, we also recognize uh, the value of at least hitting 20%. If you don't hit 30%, you know, that, that is a good thing. He did do that as a sophomore 
in a junior, but I mean, you know, just averaged three receptions per game in 2018 and 2019 uh, the, the reason he posted those dominator uh, ratings really had to do with uh, his share of the receiving touchdowns because he only had a 17% uh, market share uh, of receptions and just a, a 23% market share of receiving yards. Um, and so, you know, it, the, the touchdowns are a little bit misleading there. Nico Collins has size. That's good. Uh, so he's going to be unique in that Houston Offense, Brandon Cooks being, you know, kind of the the lead dog there, obviously a totally different type of player. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think I chalk it up to the, you know, maybe, maybe something will happen here category. Donovan Peoples-Jones certainly looked a little bit better with Cleveland than he ever looked uh, at Michigan. Yeah. Uh, you know, so same. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed offense and you know was a teammate there it was possible that that Harbaugh offense and the lack of Wolverines uh strong QB play over the last couple years has held down you know some talented players and so we have to keep that you know potentially in mind I I think he's a speculative buy he was really off my board uh really would have not had any shares of him um except for this landing spot so for me he'd be you know very interesting in the late third early fourth round of a draft uh, on a team if I needed a wide receiver, but he's, he's not somebody like, you know, you're, you're looking at a late second round guy or like, I'm not trading a next year's pick to get back into a draft to take Nico Collins. That's probably the the best uh, advisement I can give there. What, what about you, Dave? Uh, are you rosier on his outlook? No, I'm not. Um, I think that for me, he was a guy heading into the draft where, you know, it sounds so cliche to say, but in the right spot. But what I mean, I think, or the way I was framing it was more like on just a good team where maybe he can be used in certain situations. They can, you know, you could pencil him in for more goal line work or for high quality opportunities. And that's not to say that, you know, there isn't a way that Houston could use him, but with the situation being unclear, it's hard for me to picture a way that he comes in even maybe with Deshaun Watson and gets used in a way that elevates him up to the type of status where I feel like there's enough upside with this pick for me to forego some of the other players that I've seen go behind him. Uh, I do want to say Randall Cobb, I need to apologize to the man. He's only 30, but as a fantasy football player, he feels like he's a good 38 years old. So, Hey, man. <laughs> easy, 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 Dave. 30, 30 is a young man by my standards, and, and 38 doesn't seem so old by my standards, uh, although that would be my senior. So 
Um, yeah, sorry, sorry. It does. It does feel like ancient history. Uh, and, and certainly Cobb hasn't really been relevant, you know, absent, uh, Aaron Rodgers as a signal caller. So, yeah, I think, you know, with Nico Collins, uh, just to tag on there, a, a final you know thought before we move on to uh, maybe a, a perhaps more exciting player that we'll, uh, talk about uh, to round out the episode here. If Nico Collins ends up taking Sammy Watkins' place, you know, in Kansas City, you know, I think that's the outcome that we're looking for yeah. uh, with a player like this, or or even maybe a sneakier landing spot could have been, you know, Tennessee replacing Corey Davis, something like that. More dynamic offense, um, and and certainly less uh, confusion around what's happening uh, with the plan for the team, the dir- yeah. general direction of the team. And, and the quarterback that's going to be throwing the ball. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think his ADP is going to be, you know, be very um, spiky. And so he, I, I don't even know, you know, he's certainly every player is going to have an ADP, but I think, you know, his, uh, you know, his, his bars, uh, he, he could really go anywhere from the mid second to undrafted and, and rookie drafts and, and nothing would surprise me. So if Nico Collins is on your board, um, I think the third round's a safe place to target him, and you probably will generally be able to get him there. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's probably all I have to say uh, about Nico. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. If you want him, here's what you got to pay. But right. I'm not advocating for selecting him. I'd, I'd rather at that point in the draft, I'd rather you know potentially you know transition to some of our tight end premium. Uh, tight end targets or or maybe even flyer running backs. I just don't see it there for Nico. Yeah. When one of the best thoughts we can muster um, with something <laughs> along the lines of that's all I have to say, you know, it's not a good sign. All right. Anthony uh, Schwartz to the Browns at pick 91 uh, player out of Auburn. Not much of a touchdown scorer in his college career. Almost broke out with a 0.29 dominator uh in his 2020 age 20.3 season at auburn really really fast player um you know like a 98th 99th percentile um 40 yard dash weighs 186 so when you adjust for speed though it still uh puts him in the 90th percentile he is heading to a Cleveland Browns team where you have a number of guys already entrenched. You already mentioned Donovan Peoples-Jones this episode. He is going to be on that roster. Obviously, you have OBJ, Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins uh, had 52 targets there last year. You are the Browns member of this podcast. What do you think of Anthony Schwartz going to Cleveland? Uh, I think he's going to have a role uh, right away. We're going to, we're going to see him every week. Um, I, I don't expect that Richard Higgins uh, or DPP will be able to hold him off. Neither one of them has the speed and those guys are really projecting more as the perimeter, uh, the perimeter replacements for, you know, OBJ and Jarvis Landry. That's certainly how we saw them, you know, used last year. Um, it, Schwartz also will be interesting in that when he's on the field, you know, do you actually put him outside and let him run people off and let Landry get back down into the slot a little bit more mm. like he did earlier in his career? Cleveland's used Landry as a more, you know, you know, total receiver. Uh, and it's been interesting to see him develop more of a downfield uh, attack uh, with with Baker uh, in some spots. And as a, as a huge Jarvis Landry fan, I've really enjoyed watching that. But uh, Schwartz, I mean, he just like you said, he's got rare speed. Uh, he has a, a gear that no one else on this squad has. Um, when you look at players with this profile, um, 
in our, our Rotoviz box score scout, his, his top Sims, now that we've got, you know, the draft pick solved for, um, and we've got, you know, all of the, the workout uh, information on him. You know, some, some of his, his Sims are, are players that have showed up for us in fantasy, haven't necessarily been projectable, save uh, one or two. Uh, with long seasons, but there's some names there that are, I think will be interesting. So Jacoby Ford, uh, for, for those of you who have played fantasy long enough, um, was a very trendy uh, player about a decade ago, a little more <laughs> than a decade ago, um, had, had a profile very similar, sub 4, 340, uh, weighed the same. Uh, Travis Benjamin, uh, former Brown, former Charger, um, definitely was usable for uh, a short spell in fantasy. Curtis Samuel, um, we have a couple misses here, you know, with Lewis Murphy, but he had lower draft capital. Kiki QT, you know, the jury's still out. But Paris Campbell, DJ Chark, Darius Slayton. I mean, these are names where, okay, you know, what if what if OBJ can't stay healthy? And, and you know, what if Schwartz could become, you know, the number two? Uh, the Browns have talked really about only one change in their offense for 2021 versus 2020. They said they wanted to become more explosive. Um, and so when I see them at a player like this, I mean, presumably Schwartz was drafted for one reason and one reason only, like let's push those safeties back. So it's either going to be him being the one making those explosive plays, or he's going to be opening it up, uh, for those other studs, uh, to make those plays. But, um, this is, this is a significant investment. You also think about this being potentially the last year that we have both Beckham and Landry in Cleveland. Uh, this is much more interesting to me. Uh, than Collins um, because of Schwartz's age, uh, because he did it in the SEC, because he was so much closer to actually breaking out. You know, if we want to round up generously, you know, maybe we can say that he did. Uh, I think <laughs> I know the guys that uh, edit our databases. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, this is uh, of the players that we've talked about um, and wanting to select them um, at ADP. So the, the three players in this episode, Schwartz is the most interesting to me. I think Sermon's going to be, um, overinflated as we talked about Collins just wasn't impressive enough in college to justify the investment versus other players available there. Um, and Schwartz is really uh, the one that my interest is funneling towards. Dude, I, I am in complete agreement with that. Um, I actually find it fairly exciting and it's interesting how, when you contrast it with a guy like Collins, um, who's going to a team where you don't have two guys that at points in their career have been superstars and some other young players that you can make a strong case for keeping a role in that offense that I'm going to be more excited about Schwartz. But it's kind of like the idea of with Collins that really the only thing I could point to was his size. And even at that, you know, 215 doesn't propel him into like, like a 225 type of range. It's not like, uh, you know, one where you can really sell the argument as him being this huge specimen. Collins... Um, you know, that, that's like the best I could do. Schwartz, though, like you mentioned, the speed, that is kind of like an X factor that he has. It's a profile that doesn't always work, but it's going to be in the context of an offense that I have a lot more faith in right now. This is a team that should be challenging to make its way into the playoffs. It has a quarterback. Think what you will of Baker Mayfield, but we have a situation that we know about. He should be there for the projectable future. And I see somewhat of a runway for him to be there and remain useful. So I actually feel a lot better about that landing spot in Cleveland and Schwartz overall and actually look at him as the type of guy that I'm going to be excited if I get, which uh, the final thing I'll say is also with him getting that draft capital of around 91 in some of the regression trees that I will build post-draft, that's actually going to be a key number for him to get in there. If he'd slip past 100, 
uh, he might be in a different cohort of players. But when you put together that whole profile now and you you kind of adjust for the fact that the Dominator was pretty close, you can make a very compelling case for him. So I'm actually a, a pretty big fan of the landing spot for Schwartz, um, you know, despite the fact that you have Landry and Beckham there. Let me ask you one question, though, now. There, it looks like you had a thought, and then we're going to go back because I, I have a Jarvis Landry question for you, but interject your thought. Yeah, I have just one thought on on Schwartz here. So, I mean, we've been, you know, obviously we're talking about rookies and that's obviously more directed at Dynasty uh, this time of the year. But from a best ball perspective, too, when you start talking about really stacking up wide receivers uh, from good offenses, offenses that can score a lot of points. I mean, I do think that the Browns offense is going to score a lot of points. Um, They're going to score on the ground, but they also, you know, they face – I mean, they're going to be facing a, a much improved Cincinnati Bengals team. They face the Steelers twice and the Ravens twice as well. Um, and the Browns, as good as they were last year, they get to face a third place schedule because of the way that things worked out. I mean, things are really stacked up for the Browns offense to be uh, a sneaky, sneakier than, you know, the Chiefs, sneakier than the Bills, sneakier than the Titans, uh, but really could be a key offense to target um, for fantasy domination in 2021. And you like to have some of the secondary, tertiary, uh, quaternary uh, options and offenses like that for those spike weeks, right? And so Schwartz certainly fits the bill there. Um, And so even from a best ball perspective, he could end up being like a very end of draft guy uh, that that would have some intrigue, uh, even as a rookie. That's really interesting um, when you frame it like that. Uh, I think one of the things, too, with the Browns, I feel like it might be going back now like two, maybe even three years. They're a team that uh, a lot of people have been thinking is going to take a major step forward. Some people might feel like they didn't take as big of a step as they wanted, but they're definitely a team that is trending up in comparison to you know other landing spots that you might have had for one of these young wide receivers. So my question uh, goes back to Jarvis Landry. Um, with what we know about his career arc, and how he has been pacing and trending the last couple of years. Let's say he does get into a position where he's playing a lot more out of the slot. At this point, do you think that that is going to boost his uh, fantasy value, at least in the short term, versus him playing more of that complete wide receiver role? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, as recently as 2019, he was he was the wide receiver 12. Uh, he was wide receiver 12 in, in Cleveland. Um you know, I think the teams, if they have their way, they're still going to be, you know, a, a team that operates through the run first. They're still going to run uh, more than than most teams. But this comment about being explosive, perhaps we get more first down play action uh, or first down passing just in general. And there's no, I mean, I don't think it's really that radical to say that Landry's the most, uh, you know, reliable player on the offense in the passing game. I mean, we don't know if OBJ will be, available in any given week. And he had an exciting game against Dallas last year. But besides that, honestly, it's hard to even pick out any signature performances from, from Beckham since he landed in Cleveland and Baker seems to have much better chemistry with Landry. So if the offense takes a step forward, uh, whether Landry goes to the slot or not, if the offense takes a step forward, I mean, Landry's probably the one that would stand the, to benefit the most. If, if Baker takes that next step, uh, he just seems to be, uh, the, the one that uh, the offense kind of goes through. So whether, whether it's shorter routes um, or just a, you know, a bigger piece of a bigger pie 
or even the same the the same uh, percentage of a bigger uh, a pie. Um, Landry is not somebody that's like dead. Like he still has a, a fantasy heartbeat from my perspective. Um, I, I think he's almost always, I don't know that there's ever been a year where he didn't end up being a value based off of where uh, he was drafted. And I expect the same to be true in 2021. Okay. So a couple of things there. Friedman and I got into a couple of arguments where I have made the case a number of times that I think Landry might be a better receiver than Odell Beckham. I won't make my full case because I've done it so many times, but some of it goes back to the fact that when they played together in college at LSU, Landry saw more usage, was able to suppress what could have been this dynamite prospect in OBJ. Um, You know, when you saw what he did early in his career and you go back and you looked at what people were thinking him coming out of school, it's pretty interesting that Landry was able to keep him, you know, somewhat down on draft boards, uh, you look at their career in the NFL, I think that there's been a lot more production from Landry. Now, granted, Beckham has missed games. Now we're seeing them with the Browns, and it looks like you know, he's the player that gets to be used in more situations and actually ends up coming through for the team more often. Um, my final point on Landry will be he's been one of my favorite players, but I think that the point that you made about the fact of him being a player that's a value at his ADP is the key. He's not the type of guy that at this point in his career, I would recommend anybody aggressively go out and try to get, maybe skip up around on ADP for him or anything like that because of how reliable he has been. He's always been a guy that's played just about 16 games every year. Uh, you know, I think there might have been one season now where he only got 15. But that was just a key point that I want to harp on there is, though I have said that I'm a little bit lower on Landry this year than others, uh, I'm not completely off of him, but at the same time, it's all in the context of the ADP. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about his best ball ADP uh, in, in the, uh, the road of his uh, FFPC ADP and exposure report. I've got him dialed up here as we close the episode. I mean, he's got a 10th round ADP. I mean, 114.8 wide receiver 42 off the board. Uh, he's gone as late as pick 12, 12. Um, yeah. I mean, sign, sign me up, man. If I can get Landry as like my wide receiver five or six, uh, and a best ball construct, like that's, that's super exciting. So, um, that's, that's kind of a cool little bonus nugget. We didn't even plan to talk about Landry, uh, but you've definitely got me in a good mood. And I think it's gonna, this, this positive, uh, juju, uh, around my brownies and around one of my favorite fantasy players of the past decade, uh, and Landry, uh, the good things to come in the next couple episodes Dave, for sure. Yeah. Well, I had plans of keeping this episode a tight 22 minutes of discussion between us, but then Jarvis Landry got mentioned and it was guaranteed to take us off track. That does bring us to the close though. Reminder, send us in a comment or a question at 978-615-9214. You will have a chance to win a shirt. I also want to urge you to go to rotoviz.com. Go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Use the promo code 2021RVRadio at checkout. Get a 10% discount on a one-year subscription. And also, I know you have the time to do it. Please go leave us a five-star review and check out all of the other podcasts we have on Rotoviz Radio. Thanks for listening to the RotoViz Fantasy Football Show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at CPatrickNFL. Email us at RotoVizFFShow at gmail.com. Visit RotoViz.com forward slash podcast for more information on listener-only discounts. And until next time, thanks for stopping by. 